In this series, we are working our way through on parables and miracles. We come to the miracle of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law that we find in Mark 1, 29 to 31. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark 1, 29 to 31, please. Uh, For some reason, mother-in-laws tend to be the brunt of some jokes. Uh, I don't know why that is. The mother-in-law that God gave to me, Beth's mother, was such a precious Christian, such a faithful, loving uh, mother and and mother-in-law to me and my uh, brother-in-law. And so I just want to acknowledge the gift that uh, Lois Wisenhunt was to me and to my brother-in-law before she went to heaven. And in scriptures, there's never an example presented of a negative mother-in-law uh, in fact, only two positive examples, and one would be in the Old Testament, Naomi, uh, mother-in-law Naomi, was supportive and loving to Ruth. And then in the New Testament, we come to the example that we're looking at in this miracle uh, narrative this morning, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, beautiful servant of the Lord that you'll see with me in this passage as we look at it together in Mark 1, 29 to 31. So let us turn our attention to God's word. And uh, I'll be reading Mark 1, 29 to 31. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. And he came to her and raised her up and taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. The setting was Capernaum, which was the nearest place, I suppose, that you could call Jesus' hometown. Uh, It's interesting to me that with all the prosperity theology being preached on our island, that the Lord Jesus was homeless, and the only belongings he owned to his name were those that were uh, cast lots for at the foot of his cross. But nonetheless, if Jesus Christ had a hometown, it would probably be Capernaum. He spent time there. He visited and taught there quite a lot. Second uh, to Capernaum probably would be Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus made their home. But nonetheless, this miracle was done in Capernaum, uh, and where Peter's uh, mother-in-law's home was, and the occasion was the Sabbath, a Saturday. Uh, Beth and I have had the privilege of being in Capernaum and seeing the foundation that's left of uh, Peter's mother-in-law's home. It's right across the street from the synagogue, the ancient synagogue in Capernaum. You could have a very easy stone's throw from the synagogue in Capernaum to this house, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's home. Uh, and on that particular Shabbat, on that particular Sabbath day, Jesus had already ministered uh, quite effectively in the synagogue. Of course, he had personally Uh, worshipped his father in spirit and in truth with the other Jews who were assembled in the synagogue. And there was some kind of a kerfuffle and disruption in that worship time for the Jews. And a person who was demon-possessed had uh, somehow had a part in the synagogue. And Jesus cast the demon out of this individual right in the midst of the synagogue service. And so it was after these events that Jesus just crossed the street with uh, his disciples, and intention was to go to Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's home and have a nice Shabbat Sabbath lunch, much like many of us enjoy a Sunday 
dinner with our families, extended families here in Nassau, and there's always plenty of lovely, delicious food, and that's enjoyed, and then times of interchange and fellowship and catching up with each other. Well, that was what was to go on that Sabbath in Peter's mother-in-law's home, but when they got there, the pots were empty, and the table was not set because the, the woman of the house, the cook and the hostess, was very sick. She was in bed with a very high fever. We'll see a little later in our message that this was not a unique episode for Peter's mother-in-law. She had chronic problems with high fevers. It was her medical lot in life that she was debilitated by high fevers quite often. This was not unique. But this particular Sabbath, she was in bed with one of these high fevers, and if they were going to have such a a meal, such a time together with food, then uh, something was going to have to give, something was going to have to happen because the kitchen, which probably doubled as the living room, was closed due to illness. And Jesus came into that setting and was made aware of the situation, and he mercifully and thoroughly and immediately healed Peter's mother-in-law of her fever such that she had strength to get up out of her sick bed and to actually go about preparing the meal that she really wanted to prepare out of love. And I see three lessons in the healing of Peter's mother-in-law that are timeless, lessons that we need to take to heart as believers and followers of Christ today. The first lesson I see is one about sickness. The second lesson I see is one about selflessness. And the third lesson I see in this healing of Peter's mother-in-law is service. Sickness, selflessness, and service. Let's take them one by one. Let's start with the lesson about sickness. I know that all of you know something, that born-again believers in Jesus Christ are not exempt from taking sick. We do not have any illness under the sun that we can say we'll never get that illness because we trust Jesus for our salvation. We are subject to all the illnesses that anyone else is subject to, whether saved or unsaved. And so illness often is a a visitor to uh, the lives of Christians and to the lives of Christians that are loved by other Christians. And We have those that we're praying for right now, as you heard me pray, and others are sick in our assembly. Uh, So a lesson about sickness, first of all, is that we live in a fallen world, a sin-tainted world, and we have bodies that are not yet glorified, and so we all are subject to diseases. Some of us are afflicted with diseases that are chronic. Some of us are afflicted with diseases that are terminal. Uh, But disease and sickness is not something alien to believers in Christ. And very quickly, I want to suggest to us from the scriptures five possible reasons why uh, there is sickness. And the first reason that there is sickness is God's glory. God's glory. You do remember that it was Lazarus, one of Jesus' very best friends, who took sick, and the sickness ended in his physical death. And in John 11, verse 4, it says... But when Jesus heard this, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. Jesus interpreted Lazarus's sickness and 
pending death as being for the glory of God. The verse goes on, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. It may be today that you are sick because God wants to bring glory out of your sickness. A second reason for sickness that we see in Scripture is salvation. Sometimes God allows and uh, gives sickness so that persons will be saved. Persons will come to saving faith in Christ. You remember the example, again, in the Gospel of John, of the man who was born blind, and those who challenged Jesus asked Jesus, on account of whose sin was this man born blind, his parents or his own sin? Jesus wouldn't take either of those answers. He didn't like either of those answers. Jesus said that he's been born blind so that God's power could be revealed in the healing of his blindness. And it's so true that sometimes the mighty power of God that shows forth in sickness, sometimes to heal it and sometimes to give grace through it, the mighty power of God in sickness often can result in saving belief in Christ. And if I were to throw it open for a testimony time, it could well be there'd be some persons here today that trusted Jesus because they saw what a Savior's difference a Savior makes in someone they knew and cared about who was very sick. And so sometimes sickness is for the glory of God. Other times it's for the salvation of the repentant. I'll just read uh, John 9, verses 3 and 38 to show you the point. Jesus answered that it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was that so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then skipping down in the account of verse 38, it reports, and he, the healed blind man, said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So sometimes sickness for the glory of God, sometimes sickness for the salvation of God. In the third place, sometimes sickness because of demons. Sometimes sickness comes because of demonic activity, mental illness or physical illness. If you're taking notes, you could look up for yourself, Mark 2, verses 1 through 5, or Matthew 9, verse 33. And to some extent, there must have been some aspect, some component, I don't think 100% of demonic activity in Peter's mother-in-law's situation because in Luke 4, 39, a parallel passage, it says that as Jesus healed the mother-in-law, he stood over here and rebuked the fever. That leads me to think that to some dimension, these chronic fevers that she contended with were due to uh, demons messing around with her. Now, don't mishear me. I do not think we should see a demon behind every sickness. Not at all. There is not a demon behind every diagnosis. In fact, sometimes there's too much sugar behind diabetes. That's just what it is. Or too much sun behind skin cancer. You get my point. Sometimes, sometimes demonic activity can be behind sickness. So the glory of God is one reason. Salvation from sin is another reason. Demons is a third reason. And do you know what another reason Scripture gives for sickness is overwork? Overwork. (laughs) The adage, a little hard work never hurt anybody, isn't always true. Some people get sick because they're overworked. Philippians 2 25 to 30, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, 
But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him and the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ. He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Some believers get sick because they're overworked, even in good work. Ministry work. The fourth reason, then, is that overwork could be a reason that a believer gets sick. But it would seem that none of these possible reasons principally were the reason why Peter's mother-in-law fell sick with her fever. In that parallel account I mentioned in Luke 4, verses 38 and 39, listen, then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. The grammar there suggests this was not unique. This was continuous, suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And then the verse 39, and standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her and she immediately arose and waited on them. She immediately arose and waited on them, which leads me to a fifth possible reason why God allows sickness in a Christian's body. And that is sweetened service to God. Do you realize that all of you who have ever contended with sickness realize that when we are sick and physically unable to serve Jesus in ways that he's called us to serve him, ways we enjoy serving him, there is a real sweetness when we're granted health and strength again enough to do those services to Christ. It's just like you don't know how wonderful it is to serve God without a migraine until you suffered migraines. You don't know how sweet it is to serve the God without nausea until you have been nauseous. When we understand what it's like to be set aside because of physical illness and serving the Savior, then there's even greater joy in getting back into serving the Savior when we have the health and the strength to do it. In a sense, sickness teaches us why we ought to serve. Being on the sidelines sick helps us get back into the game with gusto when we're well again. And so from the lessons on sickness, let's move to the lesson about selflessness. Jesus was selfless here. Jesus was selfless everywhere. You see him, his life depicted in Scripture. Jesus was selfless. And that particular Sabbath, the Lord Jesus must have been physically exhausted. I confess to you, to come 1 o'clock on each Lord's Day, I'm exhausted I'm exhausted physically and emotionally, mentally. I'm not complaining. It's a privilege to be exhausted at 1 o'clock on Sundays as a pastor preacher. A true privilege. But I am tired at 1 o'clock on Sundays. Jesus must have been tired. 
He worshiped his father in spirit and in truth. He exercised a demon right in the synagogue. If ever there was a person who would walk across the street and hope for a nice Sabbath lunch of nourishment and nutrition and fellowship and laughter and maybe even an afternoon nap, it was the Lord Jesus that Sabbath. But when he walked into the home across the street, he was told about a, a dear lady who was sick in bed with a fever. She wanted to be the hostess, but she couldn't be the hostess because she was too sick. And so Jesus, in a selfless manner, went straight to her, rebuked her fever, removed her fever, healed her, and she got up about to do the service that she wanted and had planned to do. Jesus was selfless in his service. But you know, that particular Sabbath, it wasn't just the worshiping of his father and the casting out of the demon in the synagogue and then the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. It was an even longer ministry day for the Lord Jesus that particular Sabbath. We're told that noontime he healed Peter's wife's mother. Let's just read that again, 20, uh, 29 to 31. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her, and he came up to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. That was the healing of the mother-in-law at the noon hour, but there was more ministry work that Jesus did in Capernaum that particular day, verse 32. And when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. May I interject? Apparently, word got out on the street in Capernaum that the mother-in-law was raised up from physical infirmity and that the demoniac in the synagogue had been set free from demon possession. And so all the sick people and all the demon-possessed people came to Jesus, came to the mother-in-law's house. Either they came on their own or they were brought by others who loved them. And I picture a big lineup in the dark outside of Peter's mother-in-law's home. Jesus healed everyone who was brought to him that night who was sick. Verse 33, and the whole city had gathered at the door And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. You know that demons know about Jesus and they know about theology. They know about the Bible, but they're defeated. They're defeated by Jesus Christ. And so I just picture it. I just try to put myself in some manner into Jesus' sandals that day, worshiping in spirit and in truth, exercising a demon, healing a dear woman with a fever, and then healing many, many persons of diseases, and then casting out many, many demons. I just can imagine that he was tired, but he was selfless in his service. He ministered in the will of his father, despite perhaps inconvenience, despite perhaps personal cost, despite perhaps, no doubt, exhaustion. And in so doing, a selfless Savior leaves me and all of you, my brothers and sisters, a beautiful and challenging example that we would serve God by serving others, by giving as Jesus did. How did Jesus give? He gave constantly. He gave 
eagerly. He gave selflessly. He gave willingly. He gave putting his own needs in second place. I think of the true story of the older sister who wasn't very old, but she was older than her brother who was very, very sick. And the brother needed a blood transfusion to live. And no blood was on hand of the right blood type to save the boy's life. And so the parents knew that although the big sister was still young, that she had the same blood type as her brother who was dying. And so the parents explained to their daughter that if she could give blood, that she could spare her little brother's life. Would she be willing to give blood? Yes, I'd be willing to do that. And so they got her hooked up to take the blood for the transfusion. And her eyes were tightly closed, and she had a a grimacing look on her face the whole time. And finally, the technician said, is this hurting you? Is there a problem with the needle? Are, Are you in pain? She goes, no. Just want to know when I'm going to die. When I'm going to die. She didn't understand in her little understanding that she wasn't going to die by giving her blood. She wasn't going to give all of her blood to her sick brother, but she was willing to do that in her own mindset. She was willing to give all of her blood to her little brother, thinking that she would die. Selfless service. Of course, Jesus gave his blood to pay for our sins. He could have called 10,000 angels but there he hung on the cross in excruciating pain and shame. Is he your savior? Knowing about him doesn't make him your savior. Trusting him and only him makes him your savior. And so we've seen a lesson about sickness and we've seen a lesson about selflessness. The final lesson I want to show you is a lesson about service. I just love Peter's mother-in-law's example that's left in the scriptures. I I love it. Uh, As soon as the Lord Jesus healed her of her fever, she jumped up out of bed, and she served the Lord, and Peter and Andrew and James and John and whoever else was in the house, verse 31, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. She waited on them. Her healing at Jesus Christ's command was instantaneous, and equally instantaneous was her resumption of serving those in her house. She went straight to do what she had planned to do, what she enjoyed doing, what she wanted to do, she did immediately. And so it should be for us. The moment we are saved, we should start serving Jesus Christ, our Savior, and other people. Because we were saved to serve, not to be served. You were saved to serve, not to be served. And so it should be for us that immediately after each of us are saved, we should begin serving the Lord and other people. We were saved to serve, not to be sequestered. It really bothers me. In the United States and Canada, and perhaps this happens in the Bahamas, I don't know, that able-bodied Christians who are ambulatory, who can walk, 
don't go to a church, but they count a television church their church. Bothers me. Ambulatory Christians who don't go to a church, not a part of a church, don't serve in a church because a radio church is their church. I'm not talking about those who are shut in. I'm talking about those who could come to any church and they don't. They were not saved to be sequestered at home in their pajamas watching television or listening to the radio. They were saved to serve. And the primary vehicle of service that God has ordained for this church age is the local church, like this one. And we're saved to serve. We are saved not to siphon off everybody else's service. (laughs) Again, I don't know if this happens in the Bahamas. I, I haven't been here long enough to know. But in Canada and the United States where I've served, there are cafeteria Christians. Cafeteria Christians just look at several evangelical churches in their city, and they say, oh, that one's got a good youth group. We'll send Sarah and Billy to that church for their high school youth group. Oh, and that church over there has a good ministry for women, good women's Bible studies. So I'll go to that church for women's Bible studies. But they don't serve in either church. They don't give financially to either church. They just take cafeteria approach to Christianity, and they let everybody else serve their family's needs, but they serve nobody themselves. We have been saved to serve. Servers are givers, and the served are takers. The takers may have better beds, but the givers have sounder sleep. So you're saying, perhaps, Pastor Rob, okay, I see the point that Jesus leaves us an example of selfless servitude and that we're saved to serve. How do I know if I'm a servant or not? Well, knowing whether you are a servant or not is as simple and as hard as this. How do you respond when someone treats you like you are their servant? Happened all the time, right? The lady tells you, you're going to do this and that for me. How do you respond? He says, you know, I don't want to do this, but it has to be done. You're going to do it. (laughs) How do you respond? Do you respond and say inside of you, yeah, I am a servant of Christ, a bond servant of Christ. Servants serve, so yes, I'll serve. Or do you recoil? Do you react? If you recoil and you react when someone treats you as though you are their servant, then you are not a servant. It's hard. It's Holy Spirit hard, but Holy Spirit possible. And so this dear healed woman's swift and undelayed service to prepare a meal has a lesson for us. And this is the lesson in general. In verse 31, there's a word translated waited. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. The uh, etymology, the background of that particular word, it comes from the English word we have as deacon. 
And it comes with the nuance of a combination of doing what's commanded by another with a raising of dust in haste. <laughs> That's something. So it's, when it says there that she waited on them, it wasn't lethargically, it wasn't reluctantly. She got out of bed with her health, used her health and strength, and she almost made dust, as it were, in the way she expediated the meal. She did the command of God on her life, which was to make that lunch that Sabbath, and she did it with haste. I love that. After all, the Lord Jesus was sitting in her home, and his followers and others that probably are not named in this particular account, the guests were there. They were hungry. They were waiting for a, a Shabbat meal, so she got after it. She didn't write a book about how Jesus healed me of my fever, and go on a speaking tour. And she didn't begin to do this serving with an attitude that's beneath me. After all, Jesus healed me. And she didn't tell them that she needed that afternoon off, but she could have a nice meal if they come back next Saturday. And she didn't make the healing all about her. She took the strength garnered from being healed, and she made it all about Jesus and the others in her home. She had an other's orientation. Really, what she did when she got healed was simply go back to what she always did. (laughs) By the way, if you think, single people, if you think that by walking down this aisle that the person you're going to marry, the aisle will change them to what they already are, forget it. That's a side comment about marriage. She did what she already was accustomed to doing. She served others with her domestic skills. Bless her. By the way, ladies, don't ever say when asked, what do you do? I'm just a homemaker. There's no just about it. You're not just a homemaker. It said, a man may work from son to son, but a woman's work is never done. That's true. You're not just a homemaker. Sisters in Christ, your domestic ministry pleases your Savior. Making a meal or making a bed is worship. Mopping a floor, it's worship. Beth is going to be away uh, very shortly for two weeks. Her dad in Alabama, Pastor Phil Wisenhunt, is 93. He suffered another stroke and in need of companionship. And Beth's sister Gwen and her husband Kim need a vacation. So Beth's going down to Alabama to be with her daddy for two weeks. And I'll tell you something. Uh, Beth won't be in the plane off the ground very high before J.D. and I realize something that we've learned before, that just how much Beth does (laughs) and how well she does it. She's not just a homemaker. In the New Testament, it's interesting, in regards to the meeting of Jesus' needs, the same word that's here in this verse for the swift following of God's orders to meet needs are applied to angels and to women, but not to men. To angels and to women. In Matthew 4.11, after the temptation of Christ, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. And then An example of this same hasty, willing service to Jesus, Martha in John 12, verse 2, so they made a supper there, and Martha was serving. 
but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And then another example in Luke 8, verse 3, it references a group of committed women who believed in Jesus, who followed Jesus, and it says in Luke 8, 3, and Joanna, by the way, that's why we named our daughter Joanna, because she followed Jesus, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. These, Joanna and the others who are named, they swiftly ministered to Jesus' financial needs. You do know that then the message that Jesus Christ proclaimed was absolutely free, but it cost money to get the message to Judea. Same here. The gospel by which we're all saved, that we herald gladly and with joy and expectation as a church, the gospel is absolutely free, but it costs a lot of money to pipe it out. It costs a lot of money to pipe out the gospel. That's why we give to the offering bag. And then here in Mark 1, 31, the miracle that we're preaching, here's Peter's mother-in-law who got up from being healed from her fever, and she waited on them. This swift, this prompt, this undelayed, this eager service to meet Jesus' needs was applied in the New Testament to angels and to women. In the miracle we're studying for today, The beautiful nature of ministry for many women is seen, and that is namely the meeting of physical needs using the skills of a homemaker. That particular day after she was healed, the mother-in-law cooked and served food. She was back in her element, feeling strong and healthy, and she was a blessing. This kind of practical and essential service is seen in the lives of other women in the Bible. You just have to read the Old and the New Testaments to see that many believing women in the Old and the New Testaments use their their skills and their propensities and their gifts and their abilities to bless others with meeting of physical needs. Often the women in the Scripture served. And the women in this church family, I'm well aware, sisters, that you serve day by day in your homes, maybe only seen by your children or only seen by your husbands or only seen by your grandkids. No one else understands all the meals you make, all the cleaning you do of your homes to keep them in order. No one else sees it except the Lord, and he sees it, and he affirms it. So much of all this is day by day, isn't it? Meals just keep, have to be made and prepared. They just seem to never stop. My father, who has blood sugar issues, he's not diabetic, but he has other blood sugar issues. He has to eat three little meals a day. And I remember once my mother made a nice bacon and eggs breakfast around nine in the morning, and I was Saturday, and and he ate it, he enjoyed it. He said, just think, Mary, we got to eat lunch in three hours. Meals are just so ongoing. Laundry never takes a vacation. Sweeping is repeated, repeated, repeated. In Titus 2, 3 to 5, it mentions such unsung but valuable and precious ministry for women. In Titus 2, 3 to 5, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women, watch it, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, here it is, workers at home, 
kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Does a Christian woman have liberty to work at a job outside of her home? Yes. And many Christian women, in the sound of my voice, must work outside their home. It's not wrong to work outside your home, ladies. But the fact of the matter is, and you know better than me, even though you work outside of your homes, there's plenty of work you do inside your home after your job outside your home, right? We commend you. Those of us who are the beneficiaries of all your hard work, we thank you. Certainly, the service efforts of the women acquainted with the Savior's needs that I've already touched upon encouraged Jesus, and they helped to free him up for ministry work of the Father. I'm here to tell you that I would not be able to do even 50% in ministry what I do now were it not for Beth. Thank you, honey. Because Beth is faithful to do the things that need to be done in our home, and it frees me up to do the work of the ministry, and I recognize that, and I thank God for her. Well, the Lord Jesus, he also appreciated the women followers that he had and their, their service and help for him in practical ways. And you know, he responded to them in gratitude in unorthodox ways for that day and time. Three ways I think of. The Lord allowed the women to follow him. Rabbis typically had all-male followers. But at a distance, less formally, Jesus allowed women to follow and support his ministry. Second, the Lord also taught women because he wanted women to know what the men knew who were following him. Maybe not 100% of it, but he was interested in them knowing. And third... God the Father and God the Son honored and trusted women by having them be the very first witnesses of his resurrection from the dead. There was no men there. Why were the men not there? Were they frightened? Were they downcast? The women went to the tomb to embalm Jesus' body. Jesus elevated women so many different ways while here on earth. Now, all this being said, I, I want to balance everything. Uh, we're saying that, that God ordains that women have certain distinct ministries from those of men, but also God ordains it in his word that men have distinct ministries that are unique to them. For instance, all 12 of Jesus Christ's disciples were male, of the first missionaries Jesus sent out, the 70, all were men. At the Last Supper, only men. And both the Old and the New Testaments were inspired by the Holy Spirit using male authorship. So one is not better, one is not superior, one inferior, but there are distinct roles that God has for women who love him and distinct roles which God has for men who love him. But it's so wonderful to see that in this miracle that when Peter's mother-in-law regained strength because of Jesus healing her, she got about a ministry that she loved, that was needed, and that was uniquely appropriate for ladies. 
Now, to wrap this up, just to review, we've seen a lesson on sickness, a lesson on selflessness, and a lesson on service. But let's bottom line this by thinking about service, Christian service. You've been saved to provide Christian service to the glory of God. Let me say the obvious, perhaps, that service, your service, is precious to God. And your service matters to God and matters to others. Your service is seen by God. There may be no other human eyeballs on what you do to serve Christ, but God sees all your service rendered to him. And service glorifies God. Service is a big part of why God has saved you and me. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship in the Greek poema, from which we get our English word poem. Each poem is unique. Each saved believer is unique insofar as the good works which God has prepared beforehand that each of us should do are tailor-made to each of us, tailor-made to our spiritual gifting, tailor-made to our temperament, tailor-made to our networks of influence. For we are his poems, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Remember, you're saved to serve, and so am I. You're not saved to be served, you're not saved to be sequestered, and you're not saved to siphon off other people's service. And when we serve in the power of the Spirit for the glory of Christ, we resemble Jesus. We take a family resemblance to Jesus, the supreme servant. There was a lady in the second church I pastored in Canada unassuming lady, faithful lady, behind-the-scenes lady. And whereas I knew she did everything she did for Jesus and not for me as pastor, I knew that. But just to encourage her, I would, whenever I knew she had done something, I would just quietly say, thank you, Marilyn, for serving the Lord in this. She'd always say the same thing. Well, we do what we can. Well, we do what we can. She used the plural pronoun, not I. She said we, to recognize she's part of a body of believers. And she said, what, what I can, what we can, excuse me, what we can. She said, if I can do it, I'm going to do it. That's what she was saying. I don't care if it inconveniences me. I don't care if it costs me. I don't care if nobody sees it. I don't care if I get criticized for doing it. We do what we can. I love that. She knows she was saved to serve. And so all of our Christian service should resemble Jesus' service. And the label we're going to write on Jesus' service, there are many labels we could write, but today's label on Jesus' service is selfless. Selfless service. And just remember, whatever you have to do that God has put before you to do by way of Christian service, it's not I have to, it's I get to. I get to do this or that. Today, it wasn't I have to preach two sermons. I get to preach two sermons today. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, 
They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. And then skipping ahead to Mark chapter 10, uh, where the Lord Jesus gives a summary statement about his overall ministry, why he left heaven to come to earth. He said, Mark 10, 42 to 45, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that is himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Please pray with me. Lord, we are bowed in your holy presence as your servants. Those that you have called into a right relationship with you by grace. Those you have made new from the inside out, making us spiritually alive where we were once spiritually dead. And as a a company of your servants, Some of us need, in our quietness of heart, to confess our rejection of service opportunities that you have put before us. May we confess that as sin and repent. Others of us are serving you in in accordance with our understanding of your work, will for our lives, but we're tired, discouraged, not sure it's worth it, really. Remind us, Lord, that you came not to be served, but to serve. And anything you show us to do is worthwhile doing. May our desire would be from your commendation and not from any other human's commendation. Then, Lord, some of us are serving and knowing the joy of serving and frankly can't understand why others around us don't want to serve you because there's such a joy in serving Jesus. May our joy in serving Jesus be contagious. May we be quick to give testimony and report to others around us of the blessing of serving you in this body. Lord, thank you for what you've taught us about sickness, selflessness, and service today. May we be hearers who are doers. And we pray this in Christ's name and for Christ's sake. Amen.